So, Renato, Trump has received another target letter, this time for the January 6th case. Is this going to be the most important case against him? Uh, It's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm Asha Ringapa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal contributor for ABC News. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down into a soundbite or a tweet. So, Asha, we delayed our recording a little bit because there's been some breaking news. Yeah, it's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> no Trump kidding, right? another target letter. Yeah, and it's strange because, like, you know, I, I suppose there could be people who have been living under a rock and who haven't, you know, been following the first two set of indictments uh, in New York City and then in Mar-a-Lago. But, you know, you go back on and it does feel like, you're, like, what does it mean to get a target letter? And it's like, oh, it means he's going to get charged with crime. <laughs> so, um, yes. you know, we're kind of saying uh, the same thing. We've seen this movie play out a little bit already. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, it's interesting because at some point this becomes, you know, it's like a, it's old hat, right? Like it's yet another indictment, but this is an important one. I would say, you know, look, Trump is getting the full R. Kelly treatment or Michael Avenatti. Pick your, pick your criminal of, you know, who's been charged in many different jurisdictions. He's getting the full R. Kelly where he's getting charged all over the place. But this one, I mean, regardless of what comes of this prosecution, I think there's an argument. And that's why he said up front, there's an argument that it's the most important or that it's very consequential just because of the subject matter, right? Because it's historic. It's the first case of its kind. Yes, I would say, so I will make the argument that I think it's the most consequential because this is about vindicating a direct attack on our democracy. Now, as I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, I don't know that it's the most straightforward. It does not seem to be, definitely not in the way that the documents case is. So I'm not talking about the, you know, provability or, you know, the ease of prosecution or anything like that. But I'm talking in terms of the significance. This is something that this was a crime against the United States where we were all victimized on January 6th. Like we all watched this happen. And so there is a way in which that harm has to be vindicated. um, And it has to be vindicated by charging Trump with something. And I think that that's like really important. I, I symbolically, I think it it's very important. And we can get into this a little bit later. I think also for those symbolic reasons, I am really keen to find out what Trump is going to be charged with because I have some thoughts on what he should be charged with. To me, uh, does does any of this t- turn on what he's charged with? I mean, in other words. Inciting an insurrection is one thing, and I actually think the evidence there is stronger than people may think, although there's obviously some significant First Amendment issues there. But, you know, if he's just charged with, let's say, you know, false statements in a federal proceeding or conspiracy to defraud the United States or something along those lines, you know, or uh, let's say, you know, um, 
a conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding is that is that still is consequential i mean this is significant because part of what trump has always been able to do is keep himself at arm's length from evidence of his criming right often using lawyers and other intermediaries and lackeys around him to do his dirty work so we see for example in the uh Manhattan DA's um, case, you know, who was he using? He was using Michael Cohen. Um, in the Mar-a-Lago case, he was using his lawyers there, Evan Corcoran, to, to try to do these things. Um, and I, in the January 6th case, it seemed especially so that he had this whole buffer of people around him, including lawyers, that I feel like even to charge him with the conspiracy to obstruct Congress or a conspiracy to make false statements. I mean, Smith is going to have to show that he knew, right? Like he knew of the scheme and he agreed to participate in it, not just like that he was floating around. And to me, that is significant if he has made that tie and is is, and is able and willing to prove it. 100%. I, I have been team 2383 from the get-go. And I was poo-pooed a long time ago about how, you know, Garland will never bring those charges uh, because of the First Amendment issues. But we can talk about this, too, which is if he's charged with incitement or what is it? Insurrection rebellion is the name of the statute. Um, That is really important because it carries as a penalty a prohibition from holding public office. It's really the only crime that has that penalty and in my opinion, can be applied to the president of the United States because that statute seems to operationalize Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which constitutionally prohibits someone who is engaged in insurrection or given aid or comfort to people who have rebelled from holding office. Yeah, it's very interesting. So first of all, let me just say, I is to to take a step back from that for a moment. I I generally do agree with you that this prosecution is incredible and historic and very well may be, be the most important prosecution regardless of the outcome and regardless of what comes of it. I I think I agree with that. But it, it, for me actually for Trump if I'm looking at it, the way I would look at this is I actually thought there's a very good chance that there would be no charges for Trump out of January 6th. And I think I will say this. I think a lot of prosecutors would not touch this. Um, and not because they're scared of charging Trump or anything along those lines, but just simply that these are not the sort of typical cases that are charged and they're fraught with a whole slew of legal and factual issues. And I think one thing that Trump has been able to exploit during his presidency and after, but particularly during his presidency, were times where, you know, he was abusing his power, but not doing things that are obviously straight up crimes that we're used to charging. Mar-a-Lago, that was super straightforward. Like, hey, you're keeping classified documents in your pool or your bathhouse or whatever. Okay, that's that's an obvious crime. Here, he was doing all sorts of bizarre stuff. And it wouldn't, I don't think it would, it shouldn't surprise anyone to think like, ah, he's just going to get away with it again. And here he is charged. So it's going to be path breaking from a legal perspective. I think though, regarding insurrection, 
That I agree. Kevin, can I pause for one second on the point of a typical prosecutor wouldn't touch this? It does seem to me especially appropriate that the special counsel who was tapped to do this is a war crimes prosecutor. (laughs) This man has gone after heads of state. Like, let's face it, prosecuting heads of state, former heads of state is really not something that any prosecutor would ever want to touch, right? right? It's very hard to do it. And so there's something very fitting that Jack Smith was the one chosen for this particular job. And he seems to be up to the task because if anyone knows how fraught these types of prosecutions are, um, you know, even though he's done it in obviously an international context, but to understand how to conceptualize it, the, the broader implications of it, he's your man. Yeah, I, I agree. He's not, he's not just an uh, oblivious prosecutor who thinks, you know, oh, this is just like anything else. He fully understands the implications. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree with all of that. I mean, it's interesting, too. I think that not being wedded. So if you come from the world of, let's say, prosecuting white collar crime and things like that, you can get into you, you can be very focused on sort of the issues with cases because those cases can be hard to prove. I think. You know, I think for him, maybe this doesn't seem as complicated as some of the stuff to use our, to use a, uh, one of our favorite words, uh, as, as some of the cases that he was dealing with internationally. I think one thing that, by the way, has not aged very well is the, the, the take. And I always thought this was silly from day one where there's all these people thinking that when Smith got appointed, that it was a delay tactic or, Garland, this is just another way for Garland to kick the can down the road. Yeah. So Smith's been incredibly aggressive, but. To get back to your insurrection point, by the way, I mean, what the interesting thing there is, first of all, there is going to be some sort of argument there, right? Constitutional argument as to whether or not this, you know, fact can prevent him from running. But in any event, it, it kind of dovetails with another issue that we don't know about right now as of the time of this recording, which is the trial date issue in Mar-a-Lago. Like we had to record sometime, everybody. Okay. We couldn't, we delayed this long enough. We couldn't delay it forever. Um, we don't know 100% what's going to happen with the Mar-a-Lago case, but I think there's a very reasonable probability, I would say, that the January 6th case, which hasn't even been charged yet, is not going to go to trial and and have a sentencing prior to January of 2025, which is what it would, would take, right? Well, I guess actually, no, just a conviction, a, a, a trial and a conviction prior to January 2025. I think there's a very, I would say a reasonable probability. That's correct. And, and I I know I'm going to get more angry tweets about this or more angry comments. Um, And so this is what I'll just tell you. If John Doe got indicted for engaging in like, I don't know, a bank robbery um, today, and you told me he's going to go to trial and have that completed in 2024, I'd say probably, but it's not a guarantee. If you told me it was bank fraud for $10 million, I'd say probably not. And so I don't know. I mean, it seems like a complicated case, uh, I would think. I mean, we'll see when we see the indictment. But you, you it's unprecedented by its nature. Uh, very hard for me to believe that you could rush it to trial. But, you know, I guess one thing is in D.C., you may, you will, there are some judges there, uh, like Judge Powell, Judge Mehta, who um, I think very much have the perspective because they've been seeing, I think also a lot of January 6th defendants 
they have the perspective that this is just a devastating attack. They were also, they're in the jurisdiction that felt the damage. So they saw it with their own eyes. You know, they, maybe it, it, it would take a judge who really wants to move this forward. I, I know it was an easy call for me to say Judge Cannon was not that judge. You know, I don't know if Judge Beryl Howell, for example, or Amy Berman Jackson might have a different view. I think they would. If you look at the language that they've used in their sentencing, where, you know, they they don't have time for excuses or rationalizations. I mean, they ain't playing when it comes to these people. And they have scolded and chastised and, you know, told the defendants that have tried to worm their way out of it that it's just not happening. And those are the foot soldiers. Those were the people that were just, like, vandalizing or, you know, and uh, obviously the people who also engage in more violent things like, um, you know, attacking police officers and stuff. But you can only imagine, I agree with you, that if that's how they feel, like, tell me how you really feel. And they've told you, um, I don't know that they are going to be dilly-dallying when they get a former president. I think, you know, I will say, Renato, this is not to minimize the national security implications of the Mar-a-Lago um, case, which also impacts the suitability of Trump to hold an office of public trust. But the other reason that this case is significant is that he used the lever of power, his influence and his um, megaphone as president to facilitate this attack on the government itself. And so there's almost an, a very great urgency to resolve this in some way before the election happens because it directly is, this is directly about his ability to be a leader. And look, this can go either way. There's no guarantee that he'll be convicted, but also in his interest, I suppose, to clear his name before. Sure he becomes president. I don't know. Like there's something very essential about what, like about the facts of this case that really matter that this gets done before the, before the next election. So here's how I see it. I actually think one of the challenges here, and, I, and we can look at this both from the Mar-a-Lago perspective and from the January 6th perspective. One of the challenges is there is a very intense reason why a lot of people care, including you and me, that this case gets done before the election. And it's because we all know and believe that Donald Trump's going to appoint like Jeffrey Clark or somebody like that, John Eastman to be his attorney general. And they're going to make sure there's no uh, prosecutions of Donald Trump uh, if he ever gets reelected. And gets put into office. And so there's an urgency to getting this case done. The challenge is that our legal system, criminal justice system, uh, is so slow moving that in a typical case, you wouldn't expect that to happen so quickly. And so what you really need is a judge and a prosecutor to both see the need for the, the, you know, the, the need for this case to be on a fast track. The prosecutor sees it and is doing everything possible in Florida to make that happen. 
But I'm going to predict, and this is dangerous, I suppose, before Canon comes out. Although I've, I feel like I think I wrote a column about this months ago. That's aged, in my opinion, like fine wine. That this case, not that case, not going be happy before the election. I don't know if Canon's that judge, but the, I think what you may see, ironically, in DC is almost like there's a. I'm not going to say evolution or maturation of the legal of the of uh, of the judge or the judiciary towards Trump. But I, I think there's a thing about learned experience. You know, in many cases, judges give uh, litigants some rope uh, to, you know, take their time. Okay, there's a little about a delay. But after a certain period of time, they've had it and they're ready. We got to move on. We got to do this. We got to do that. I think with Trump in D.C. in particular, with these judges, they've seen enough. They've heard enough. Because judges like Howell and Jackson and Meta, like they've been, they've seen this happen. So it depends on the judge you get. But I think there's a lot of judges in D.C. for whom this is not their first rodeo dealing with the Trump administration and all of the the aftermath of that. And they're going to treat this like yet another Trump issue, you know, Trump uh, delay tactic versus the way a lot of judges might look at this like, well, OK, here's a defendant and he's got, you know, rights and. You know, I'll give him a little bit of rope. Yeah. And I think really the the main thing that we need to see is what he's charged with. That's kind of, you know, we're still at the tip of the iceberg. 100%. A lot we don't know. This is purely our initial reactions. Everyone, you're getting our first impressions, so to speak. All right, Asha. So this was not even, I didn't think... Uh, if if I did not have any of this on my bingo card, but now we know there's another uh, set of charges coming this time out of Michigan, um, in which there's another one where you and I don't have a lot of the details yet. But we'll, all we know at this point is that there's been, I believe it's 12, um, 16 fake electors charged with eight different counts by complaint, not by indictment. Um, and this is by the Michigan Attorney General, which is interesting. A bunch of different counts, forgery and election law fraud, you know, election fraud and so forth. Um, all, uh, you know, fel- felony charges, but state court charges. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know what's more. Su- I think this is more surprising to me than the, our, the, the, the story that Trump has the target letter, but I think it's underrated. I think this is actually has a chance to have more there's a chance that this becomes more consequential in the long run uh, than, a, than, than the federal cases. Well, I want to hear that, but can you explain the difference between complaint and indictment? Do you mean that this is not issued by a grand jury? It's not. So you can usually, so usually um, charges are often, I would say, uh, obtained via an indictment. And in our constitution, you have the right to be charged by indictment by a grand jury. In fact, that's so that's a requirement, a constitutional requirement for all felonies, not mm-hmm. for misdemeanors, but for all felonies. Um, however, if often and usually this is in the case where there is a where, for example, there's an arrest and a crime has been committed, but um, you don't have time to get to to the grand jury before the person's arrested. You can charge someone by complaint. And what complaint is is you have a law enforcement officer, let's say, oh, I don't know, special agent Asha Rangapa, and she types out, or, or I, let's say, when I was a prosecutor, I would type out an affidavit with her, kind of go through, you know, with with you, 
what the what the facts are. We would lay out a de- in detail um, the the details of your investigation, what you've learned. We'd go to a magistrate judge. The magistrate judge would uh, would review that and sign it and determine that there is probable cause. There would still be an indictment, but that would come later. Uh, and in the meantime, for a period of time, there you, you the person would be arrested on that complaint. And that's essentially the procedure in Michigan. There was um, uh, charges that were brought by complaint in a magistrate in Michigan. A state state court magistrate has is signed those complaints. Is my understanding. And why? I mean, that that seems odd to me in this type of circumstance because it's not like you have some time constraint or someone's fleeing. I mean, they presumably been investigating that these fake electors are like hanging around. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And I don't know all the details about it. What I would say is one thing that comes to mind that could possibly be an explanation is that they wanted to provide more details regarding the charges. And perhaps State Court of Michigan, you'd have these very bare bones indictments that don't say anything. Mm, That's possible. Like what we saw in New York. Yeah, so possible. Yeah, that's possible. But there may be a more nuanced state court. I'm not a Michigan lawyer. I'm a Illinois and California lawyer, not a, Mich- a Michigan lawyer. So I don't know uh, the system in Michigan. So it may be that there's a more sp- Michigan-specific reason. I do know, for example, in Michigan, that it's hard for them to charge out of st- for out-of-state activity, which is I, my understanding of why the electors are charged and not some of the people working with them. Um, but, but it's interesting, right? Um, I have to say, I didn't see that coming. And I think we don't know in the federal case, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jack Smith does not charge any fake electors. I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me either because I would think that he wants to keep this as streamlined as possible, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's kind of a keep it simple, stupid, like the kiss rule. Um, both, I would think, and you can you can tell me if I'm right on this, for expediting the actual proceedings. But also, you know, Jack Smith has a dual role here. He's not only prosecuting Trump for the crime that he committed. He's got to make sure the public understands in this case what this case is about. Um, and that there is a a clear rationale, a clear story uh, about why Trump is being charged. And I would think that if you charge Trump with like, you know, a whole slew of randos, you know, fake lectors from all over the country or whatever, it kind of muddies the waters, if not legally, then I think in the public's mind. Hmm. That's interesting. So let me just go to your first point first. I do think that whenever you charge an additional defendant, it does create an additional po- possibility for delay. We've already seen it with the Walt Nauta uh, char- charge in Florida. People are like, why is that guy not get a lawyer and this and that? Well, yeah, I mean, every time you charge a different defendant, there can be an opportunity to delay there. And and a judge in D.C. who might have little patience for Trump might have more patience for John Q's six-pack uh, from Michigan, who is a fake elector or wherever, or Arizona or wherever they're from, Georgia, who's a fake elector and kind of got roped into this. I also agree with you. There might be a sympathy factor there. Um, and they might have a credibility that Trump doesn't have. They, they, they might get up there in their own defense and say, Hey, 
Yeah, I don't know about Trump, but I'm just, I was just told to show up and sign this. I didn't know what the heck this was. I didn't know what was going on or something like that. It's just, it's easier for them to potentially get away with that. So it does muddy the waters and it takes the focus away from Trump. So I agree. Like I said, I, we don't know what the charges are. For all we know, he's flipped a bunch of them and is charging them. We don't know. But I, I think it's unlikely, would be my guess, that, it, that he's charging fake electors. But here we go. We have an, a state AG who referred this matter to the feds, didn't get a response, uh, and has just gone ahead and indicted, which is interesting, right? <laughs> um, and I, the reason I said that this could be important, very important in the long run, here, here's why I say that. Our system of elections in this country is such that they are administered by states. And even though we would like to believe that in the state of, oh, I don't know, Connecticut, where you live, or Illinois, where I live, or wherever, that our vote counts and it leads to some elector and you know it all translates and whoever gets the most votes becomes the president, the reality of the situation is that the only thing that makes sure that the the person who is received the most votes in that state ultimately gets the electors in that state, it's usually a function of state law. And it's mm-hmm. and that was why that independent state legislature theory was so dangerous because the the state legislature could just decide like, and eh, nah. But I think we're going to do our own thing. But I think what we learned in, in the, the last election was that there was a huge opportunity for shenanigans. And the shenanigans, though, required the cooperation of a lot of random people on the ground. And one of the things that kept the shenanigans from going too far is that a lot of rank and file Republicans on the ground did not go along with Trump. To their credit, a lot of people in Michigan, like state legislators, were like, yeah, we'll visit the White House and get some free stuff, but we're not going to like overturn the election. Or some uh, guy in Arizona who's the Speaker of the House, like, yeah, no, I'm Rusty Bowers. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm not going to do that. But it, it took that, like Kemp and George's, you know, people like that were just like, we're not going to go along with it. But there were plenty of people who did. And Trump is trying to normalize this idea of, of overturning elections. And I think that these prosecutions, what, even if they fail, send a message to these folks that there may be consequences. I think it matters because I think that the January 6th charge against, against these individual insurrectionist people had a big impact. And, and I could see it on Twitter. When Trump was trying to incite these folks to march in Manhattan and a lot of right wing influencers were like, don't do it. He's just going to leave you hanging. We're all, you're all going to go to prison again. Don't, mar- don't, and don't do it. And I could just see the same thing here. Like you're uh, a random mayor or a, a county commissioner, some local GOP official who's asked to be an elector. It's usually an honorific thing. Like, do you really, if you're mayor of some small town in Michigan, are you going to take the risk? of getting yourself thrown in prison. I just think a lot of these people are like, they're not like Trump. They're going to be like, I don't want to hire a lawyer and potentially face a felony. This isn't they're fundraising off of this. This is a disaster for right. them. And I mean, and even if Trump wins, he can't help them. Yeah. These are state crimes. There's over. It's over. Like You're going to be like sitting. Uh, yeah. Gretchen Whitner is not pardoning <laughs> you. Um, absolutely. And just to tie this like, to what we were talking about with Jack Smith, probably not bringing fake electors. It's a good kind of, if that does end up being the case, and I think you're right, um, it's sort of complimentary, right? Like in the sense of, I suspect that Jack Smith will be charging a crime related to the fake electors, right? Right. Maybe like a conspiracy to um, 
present false statements, uh, in which the the broader project would be laid out that across these seven states, this is what was going on. Look at all these fake elector certificates. They look exactly the same. They were all from the same Word document that was being like sent around that everybody agreed to or whatever it is. In other words, he has the ability to present the whole scheme, even if he charges just Trump or Trump and, I don't know, whoever, Don Eastman or something like that. Um, and then you leave it to the states to kind of really go after the people within their own jurisdictions who participated in that. That seems like actually a, an appropriate division of labor um, and vindication of actual federal and state interests in terms of bringing charges. I agree with that. I, and I think, you know, I think that a judgment call could be made, by the way, regarding whether or not it makes sense to uh, charge these electors. But I'm not critical of it here. In other words, so I was very critical. Uh, you know, many of our listeners will remember of Alvin Bragg wasn't the biggest fan of his indictment. And it's because it was very old conduct and it was sort of out of nowhere. This is different. Like this is a very recent crime. The, the it was the forgery here is serious and had could have had a massive impact in the state of Michigan where the entire uh, election results are are thrown into question and creates a huge harm for Michigan's citizens and it's a serious crime and no one else is prosecuting it so i you know it struck me um like a very reasonable exercise of prosecutorial discretion by the AG i mean we'll see in Arizona um, for example, whether that continues there, right? Whether there's a prosecution in Arizona along similar lines. We don't know. Exactly. So Asha, by the way, so now we, we went, we, we've come kind of full circle. We had that question beginning, which one's the most consequential? Probably January 6th. But it's the reason that I think it is complicated just to kind of explain my answer there is if Mar-a-Lago goes first, if Mar-a-Lago ultimately be, is what he's convicted and sentenced on, I'm sure there may be a January 6th trial after that, but it becomes less, uh, it becomes sort of like a sequel, you know, it's like watching Blade 2. It's not quite the same thing as Blade 1. Um, and, and I do think the, the state prosecution will, I think will have a very significant deterrent effect. I agree. So before we go, I- you were commenting Yes, on your on your bubbly chick. This is not an ad. We got no money, uh, although we're happy to sponsor your 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 drinks. Um, both Asha and I, I guess, are fans of flavored water. Um, I've tried to cut it down because I was like burping all the time by drinking. I'm addicted. Okay, I'm addicted. I, I used to buy that stuff by the case, so I, I I've gotten better recently. But yeah, I love the flavored water stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan. I do, and I have, and I have a lot of opinions. Okay, about this so let's hear it and okay. comments. So, um, I am a big fan of bubbly. Um, I like Lacroix, fine, and Aha. So I, I tend to the bubbly, but like I, I'll drink Lacroix and, and Aha. Am I allowed to like slam a brand here? I do whatever because, you want. I mean, I, if I don't represent them, because, I don't care. Oh, this like the one that's it. like the regular real juice that is it's is... disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting. I'm sorry. 
um, if you're a <laughs> drinker, but like I get very angry when I go somewhere and that's their seltzer flavor. Um, my second big, you know, strong opinion on flavored water is that it's impossible to find in airports. I don't understand. Like what I'll go. So I'm really lucky because um, Hartford Airport actually sells like the big bubblies um cans mm-hmm. so i like i, I like like those, yes. throw like three of them into my bag before i get on a plane um but there are some airports where it's like you go and it's like all energy drinks like they don't have flavored seltzer and i don't understand it it really gets me angry wow okay i i happen to like energy drinks and flavored seltzer, i don't drink energy but drink. you've probably seen me drinking energy drinks on our air because i often do it after a workout but uh, yes, and I'm a big flavored seltzer person. I'm more of a cherry bubbly person. I love cherry. Oh. It's like one of my favorite flavors. So yes, but I was definitely like maybe a little too burping because I drank so much of it. I was I drinking know, I several a lot. cans a day. Uh, so I, 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 for me, it's more of a treat now. Um, I've heard it's bad like for your my, teeth. Somebody told me this. Yes, it's a. I think it's slightly acidic. How can it be? It's um, water. That, it's just carbonated water. I'm looking at the I don't know. carbonated water, natural flavor. So one thing you're learning, uh, everyone listening, is that we're not experts on everything. Okay, <laughs> So I'll be the first to admit that I don't know anything about science. Um, and so, yeah. So I have um, contemplated getting one of those home carbon... Because now bubbles... I have sell, one. And I've heard... Somebody told me not to. They said it just doesn't... It it's not the same. Not the so, same. Soda Stream. I have. It. I have the Soda Stream. I used it for a while. I was using it every day for a while. You have to buy these like, canisters and hook it up. It's like kind of a pain, um, but it's fine. It's okay for what it is. But and you can put the dra- flavor drops. It's it's okay. It's not quite the same. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. And didn't really stick. All I can say is, don't ever bring me a. <laughs> Okay. Wow. That is. Uh, I, I. I'm. I'm actually speechless. But I'm. A, <laughs> I'm a bubbly fan myself. Lacroix. I think Lacroix is like old. It's oh, sort is of it like. Lacroix. I didn't know. I thought, it, I thought it was Lacroix. 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 Okay, maybe it's Lacroix. <laughs> I don't know. Lacroix. Whatever it is. Um. It was like the original. So I give it. It's like the OG. Yeah. Right. It was the OG. I will say. I'll. I'll make a plug for a brand I do like. Um, okay. Target brand. What is it like? Good and plenty or something like that. But they have some really good flavors. Okay. They have like my wife and, and stepdaughter have ones from Kirkland, but uh, the Kirkland brand from Costco. But they're not. They they have more like sugar in it. I don't uh, like the yeah, ones no, with the no f- sugar. aspartame in it. Yeah, no. I want it just regular. Regular. M-S-W-Media.